0: Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Justin muderman And I'm Garrett Post. And today, we have a very special guest for the Manchester Derby. We have a Manchester United fan, also a fellow LAFC fan, JP Marquez of LA Soccer Hub. Welcome on.
1: What's up, guys? I'm glad to be here. Glad to talk some, some football, as always.
0: And today, we have a nice episode with some coverage of the Premier League, uh, the FA Cup as well, as well as some MLS. And we will also do a few listener questions at the, at the end, as we like to do now. Um, so starting with the big one, the game that uh, we've been anticipating for a couple of weeks now, the Manchester Derby at the had it ended up being a pretty dominating performance for Manchester City, a 4-1 win. Uh, with Kevin De Bruyne getting the first two goals, Mares with the latter two, uh, and, and Sancho was able to tie it with a really, really good goal on the counter attack in the 22nd minute. But quickly, Manchester City responded and put the game away. Kevin De Bruyne again, big game player, stepping up to the plate. Uh, there was a lot of talk about the just the run of play, especially in the last you know 15 minutes or so. Manchester City had. I, th- I think it was like 94% possession or something like that in the last 15 minutes with some ridiculous number. Um, there were a few pundits talking about how Manchester United stopped trying. Uh, I saw Kevin De Bruyne say today, that was ridiculous. They, uh, you know, stopped disrespecting players in that way. Um, but it was a, a really good game. At least the first half was very, very tight, well-contested. Manchester City pulled away in the second half probably, but, Let's get a Manchester United perspective on
1: it. JP, what were your thoughts on this one? Um, I mean, nothing really went Manchester United's way. Um, They didn't play bad positionally in the first half. Um, I think it was, like you said, it was nice and tight. It was a good game. Anything could have happened in the second half. Uh, But then they just imploded defensively and then just had mistakes. Um, And, you know, Manchester City capitalized. Everything went Manchester City's way, which usually goes um, in the Premier League this season. Everything's been going their way. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I can argue that this, the, the United players just aren't bought into the system, um, don't seem motivated. Um, that's just not this game. That's just been this whole season. The only time I see them motivated is Champions League. Um, but even then, they, they're struggling um, just because it's just a lack of talent and a lack of the players being bought in.
2: Yeah, I mean... The first half was a, was a good watch. And, you know, there was talk about United's recent record at the Etihad really not being that bad at all. Right. They had pulled off a couple shock results, um, but they, you know, city came out to the, out to the races at the beginning of the second half and United created 0.00 XG in the second half of the game. They just fell asleep. It was almost like, um, you know, some people were saying, oh, halftime is going to, going to help them. They need halftime, catch their breath, but it, it hurt them. If anything, um, you know, city definitely deserves the win. Um, you did mention good goal from Sancho. And, and I think him, you know, picking up a bit of form is one positive that United can take obviously a big money signing and they need him to play well. Yeah. I think that was the uh, story
0: of this game for sure is the new signings, right? Sancho and Grealish, both have been getting a lot of, you know, stick with calling them flops early on because of their price tag. I think that uh, on this podcast, we've been saying, you know, hold your horses on these guys. They, they're both very, very talented players and will come good. And I think that both of them had, had standout performances uh, in this match. Uh, Sancho has been doing that for a few games now. Um, but I think that this was Grealish's best performance in a city shirt uh, and and obviously in a big match. So does does a lot to endear both of them to their fans even though you know united less so because they weren't able to get the win but the um it's really good to see those players starting to come into form because having those those players performing in the premier league just uh increases the quality of the league as a whole
2: yeah i totally agree i mean I think Sancho, we kind of knew, would come good at some point, and it's not like he came into United at a perfect place. Obviously, the club is is disjointed, and there's a bit of a lack of a vision. But just looking at, um, or going back to what JP said about not really buying into the system, I, I think that's true, but I, I think the talent honestly has more to do with it because I was looking at, I saw some, uh, some graphics on Twitter earlier today, actually, which were quite surprising to me because it showed that, you know, the expected goal differential, so the difference between... Uh, expected goals for and expected goals against has been so, so much better since, you know, uh, pretty much after the third game of, of the Rennick era beginning. So Ole was sacked when it was, you know, it was at an all time low. Um, and since then it's, it's gone steadily up and up and up, but it just seems like uh, the players at the moment don't really have the quality to, to turn, you know, what you would expect, those expected points into actual points um, and, and keep up in this top four race. And, and we'll talk about it. Both Arsenal and Spurs picking up important victories. Um, and, and I do start to worry about United, you know, are they going to end up in that in those Europa League spots again? It, it, will Rodnick have enough to, to get them top four despite, you know, how transitionary of a period this will be? And we have no still no idea who their next manager is going to be. So definitely a, a crucial end of the season for United here. Just try to set themselves up for uh, a, a better season next year.
1: Yeah, I don't see them top four. Sorry, Justin. No, go ahead. No, yeah, I don't see this team being top four. I think Arsenal and Spurs both have enough games um, left, or you know, less games in the season to to jump over United. Uh, And it's what it's like a tight three three point window where anything can happen. But I don't see Manchester United, um, you know, maintaining or keeping a, a strong form to end the season off. I think you know. It'll be locker room issues. It'll be coaching decisions that just end up push, pushing us to fifth or even sixth. Um, I don't see, like you said, um, I don't see the talent there uh, and it's not really coming through and nobody's really wanting to show out other than Sancho who's picking up form, but Sancho is not going to be the problem solver to get us in the top four.
2: Yeah and, and yeah. and
0: on that topic, I mean, how do you think that Ragnick just the appointment has gone so far because Obviously, when Ole left, I mean, United were probably in a better position to get top four. It, it was still uh, up, up in the air, obviously, with a lot of time to go. Ole certainly wasn't uh, performing to what Manchester United and their fans expect. But Ragnick hasn't really turned it around either, as a lot of people expected him to do. And then hes we're not sure his role next season or who the manager will be next season. So what are your thoughts on that one, J.P.?
1: I think he he doesn't have the personnel for the style of play he wants. On the, the 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 player pool that he does have does not fit, you know, gangan press or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I think that's where the the issue is because these players aren't you or their you know their skill set isn't what the system needs. Um, and I think that's the biggest issue. And if the system and the players don't mesh, then it's just not really going to work. So I think. Either it's a, a major re, uh, rebuild if he stays uh, or they should just go elsewhere um, and look for another manager who, who suits, you know, the, the, whose system suits the players that we already have.
2: And it will be very interesting. As you said, Arsenal and Spurs both have games in hand. Tottenham having played 26 matches. Arsenal 25 compared to United's 28, but we get United hosting Spurs at old Trafford next weekend. And they also will be playing Arsenal in a few weeks time. So those uh, will be huge, huge games for United if they want any chance of finishing top four. But I do agree with you, JP Uh, I I probably am going to say that they finish fifth, uh, fifth or sixth. I, I think either Arsenal or Spurs will get that top four. And then, you know, West Ham have not been that, that great as of late, but, uh, we ha- I know we have a question about that later on in the show. So with that, Justin, I think we can move on to Liverpool uh, against West Ham United. They picked up a big win to keep pace with City. Obviously, they are now they are six points behind, uh, but with a game in hand, top the title race is as alive as ever, as ever. Excuse me. What did you think of Liverpool's 1-0 win over the Hammers?
0: I thought it was a good performance, but uh, I thought that they were... They they totally deserved the win, but they could have easily gone uh, the other way or, or been a draw. West Ham had uh, opportunities to to score to put the ball in the back of the net. They had uh, five shots on target, which was equal to Liverpool. So they were much more clinical with the, with the putting their shots on target, um, with a lot less possession, about thirty percent possession. So it's it's not like uh, West Ham were you know dominating possession or anything. You would never expect that against Liverpool. But I do think that West Ham definitely had a chance to grab a point from this and weren't able to to find the finish, and that was the issue there.
2: JP, what do you think Liverpool's chances are catching City up? Really, are?
1: I think they're. I think destiny's in their hands, um, but I'd give them. I'd give a 50 percent chance. Uh, I think that's fair because Manchester City also, if they just keep on winning, they don't have to worry about Liverpool. Um, and they have enough talent and depth in their roster to do it. Um, but all you need is one game now. I mean, what, you're three points, three points behind, and in the Premier League, anything can happen. So I still think it's a 50-50 chance that Liverpool catches up.
0: Yeah, absolutely, because they both – they do play each other uh, at the Etihad had coming up in a, in a couple of weeks. And uh, that, yeah, that can be the game that Liverpool win at their you know, level. On points so it's it really is either team they both have it in their own hands uh, if they win out they are they can win the league
2: we had a couple big results towards the bottom of the league uh, guys we had burnley losing against chelsea we'll talk about abramovich in a minute but also watford uh, losing to arsenal as we said big win for the gunners as, as they try to keep up in that top four race and then brentford uh, a much needed win over norwich but i i think one of the most I guess not shocking results, maybe to some people, not as much to me, is the game that happened just a few hours ago. My Everton traveling to Tottenham Hotspur and getting absolutely battered on the road. Five-nil, Harry Kane brace, which he always seemed to do against us. Uh Sun and Regulon pitching in and then a Michael Keane own goal, although that that was the first goal and it was just downhill from there. But um yeah, I'm getting very concerned here, Justin. I know that you you are. Let's still hear the rant. The... Let's hear it. Let's hear it. I know that you're still on the Everton won't get relegated train, but uh, I mean, our fixtures are not good. Uh, I watched a video by James Lawrence Alcott uh, a few days ago, kind of outlining the remaining fixtures in the relegation battle. And he predicted us to go down just because of kind of how poor they are. We don't have many of our relegation rivals at home remaining this season. Uh, We play Newcastle in two weeks time at home. That is a, must-win game like the most must-win of must-wins and i put out a tweet earlier today that uh, you know our upcoming games we have that so we have wolves next week at home we need you know we need to get a point out of that um at least and then newcastle home watford away those newcastle and watford games are probably the biggest everton games that we've had since the 2009 fa cup final i don't think you could you could think of anything bigger um but I'm, I'm very worried because this back line is just, you know, obviously made it, made it tough on city a few, last week. Um, but Goodison park is, is a big part to play in that. But, you know, I don't see Everton conceding any less than three goals in any road game that they have remaining this season, like Watford away. That frightens me. We conceded five to Watford at home earlier this season. And obviously that was during the Rafa Benitez era, but it's not like the defense has improved much at all. Michael Keane. Uh, you know, I, I don't think I could name a center back in the Premier League who's had a worse season than he has just a plethora of individual errors week on week on week. He was awful today. Jordan Pickford made, uh, you know, on the second goal, he should have saved that. It was the first time that I've really, you know, looked at him and be like, man, that was a not a not a good uh, play from him there. A big mistake. But I don't know, man, it, it's just. The, the club is in chat is in tatters. The team doesn't seem like they, they really care. And that's the biggest problem is that this was a spineless performance. There was no fight. There was no heart. There was no passion. Uh, and it seems like this team is pretty much useless unless Goodison park is dragging it along and, 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 you know, yelling at it so much to get, to get results because the team, you know, there's no, there's no fight unless they're in front of the home fans. Um, And as much as Goodison Park itself may be enough to keep us up, the fact of the matter is that we have six points on the road this entire season from 12 games, six points. That's the least in the league. Uh, And, you know, if if we are just relying on home games and our home fixtures are not great, I I just don't see how we're going to pull ourselves out of this.
0: Yeah, it's... That's yeah, fair enough from Everton's perspective. From a Spurs perspective, really, obviously, a very good performance. It was five 0 It could have been more. Honestly, the XG, um, which is low, under two and a half, is is really oh sorry, under three two two point eight seven. It's uh, it's very low. Honestly, surprising. I guess it's just because there were only seven shots on target. So very clinical um, from Spurs. But it, it could have been more. I mean, Son had a one v one. He missed. There were a couple other chances. Uh, that Spurs could have put away and made this even worse, made this a really memorable scoreline. So honestly, Everton might be a little lucky that didn't happen, but it it just was a poor performance from Everton, uh, very much in in a relegation battle, as we've been discussing for weeks now on this podcast. Um, But yeah, sit one point ahead of Burnley, game in hand, and and trying to catch leads who you also have two games in hand on one point behind and then Brentford right above that who uh you also have Brentford to play this this season as well at home I believe so it's definitely some games uh to that will be relegation six pointers and, and really going to decide who goes down this this year JP do you have any thoughts on who's going to be relegated do you think that Everton are going to find a way to stay up uh as they've done
1: for decades now? I mean, looking at their fixtures or looking at the bottom four teams' fixtures, uh, Everton does have it, you know, the most difficult. But I think, you know, the players should rise to the occasion, and I genuinely don't think they'll be relegated. I think Burnley Walford just don't have enough talent compared to Everton. Obviously, Everton's back line, as we saw today, is just abysmal, uh, especially on the road. Uh, I think they should be fine. Barely afloat, maybe like one, uh, one point, you know, last last weekday. Um, they save themselves. Something you know, Premier League crazy, crazy day that'll go down in history again. Uh, but I don't think they'll they'll go down. Um, as well as like Spurs, you know, Spurs is very inconsistent. They have these great showings and then they lose to Burnley like they did what two weeks ago or last week. It's, two weeks, it's just yeah. inconsistent with Tottenham. They have the talent. They have definitely one of the best coaches in the league, but it's just the Spurs ways to shoot themselves in the in their own foot to you know maybe get. Top four or miss out on top four because of one or two games that they just, you know, choke. Uh, but I, I, I still don't think everything will will go down to the championship, uh, not this year. And then hopefully they do a, a major rebuild with Lampard and, and get them a, a better squad.
2: I'd say one of the only positives is is so that back line. I mean that the, the Holgate Keane partnership has has not been working. You know, last week against City aside. Um, but Ben Godfrey should be coming back, coming back from injury within a couple of weeks. So that should be a big boost. And then Seamus Coleman was woeful today. So I'm really hoping we saw Nathan Patterson, uh, only in the first half against Boreham Wood in, in the FA cup, uh, midweek on Thursday. Um, and, and I'm really hoping that he gets given more of an opportunity and opportunity in the league still hasn't touched the pitch in the Premier league. And I just don't see how he can be much worse than Seamus Coleman at the moment. Um, but also I think today a lot of it comes down to the manager because Lampard wanted to, you know, he wants to play on the front foot. He wants to play possession, but that played right into Spurs hand. You know, we started, we started the game. Well, we had a lot of the ball. I mean, at halftime, we had more than 50% possession despite being three nil down. Um, but you know, the back line was just the shape was so bad that Spurs were destroying us on the counter. Um, and, and we know that Spurs are really good at doing that. It's, how Kane and son have become the most prolific duo in the history of this league. Um, but the backline, it has to be priority number one, because, you know, as we've said, you can't concede that many goals and, and stay up. It doesn't matter how good you are going forward. Um, and, and, you know, leads are kind of staring that staring down that barrel at the moment. Uh, we'll talk about Jesse Marshall a little later. We have a question about that, but you know, they've conceded 61 goals and they're very lucky that there are, other teams who are just as woeful, uh, who are below them. But I mean, I think leads are definitely not out of the question at the moment either.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It's the, the, the line we've been saying for the whole entire year, there's just so many bad teams. Um, and that's where it becomes difficult to decide who's going to get relegated, but we will see, um, we can move on from one London club to another, Uh, In in Chelsea, major news this week uh, with, obviously, Russia invading Ukraine. There's been a lot of uh, restrictions placed on Russian oligarchs and their finances. And Abramovich, being scared of this, he is selling the club. I won't read the entire statement, but he said, I have taken the decision to sell the club. I believe it's the best interest of the club. Um, He says that he's not asking for any loans to be repaid. He will... Uh, pay them out I believe it was somewhere in the region of 1.5 billion in loans or something like that which is a ridiculous number Uh, he really could hold Chelsea hostage uh, for that amount of money which they would obviously not be able to pay if he he was trying to do that but he's he seems to be caring about the club uh, and he is it was a very uh, heartfelt message from him to the fans whether you believe it or not is is up to your own discretion Um, but if he sells Chelsea, which it looks like he's going to do, uh, and there have been multiple uh, bidders and people interested recently in the past few days. So it it will be a major sale. It'll potentially change the direction of Chelsea. We know that he loves to invest. We don't know how the new owners will spend their money or what their, their goals are uh, with the club, but What are your thoughts on this
2: one, Garrett, first and then JP? I mean, it is really interesting. Um, And I think from a footballing perspective at the moment, I think Chelsea are doing well to, despite, you know, what's going on in in this climate, they're just putting their heads down. And yeah, they lost Carabao Cup Final, but they played really well at the weekend, despite, you know, all this coming out beforehand. Um, it actually, I think the news broke during the first half of uh, Everton-Borham Wood on Thursday, funnily enough. Um, or or that uh, that Abramovich was handing over stewardship actually, and then just the other day he announced that he would be selling. Um, but you know, I I think it shouldn't impact them that much because they've had so much investment that you know their squad is in a place where where I don't think they're going to need their new owners to go crazy in order for them to still be competitive not only in the Premier League but also in the Champions League as they've been obviously. But they have really good young players that you know I don't see leaving Chelsea anytime soon. Um, you know, Havertz played really well on the weekend, Pulisic as well, coming back into form, uh, Mason Mount, Reese James and, and their Academy. I don't see that changing either. And that's been a, a huge strong suit of Chelsea. I, I do believe that Cobham is the best Academy in England. So, um, you know, as long as the owners don't come in and, and, and tank them and, and, you know, pull a leads or something, they should be fine.
0: JP, what about you?
1: Yeah, I mean, from the soccer point of view, I think they'll be fine. They'll finish top four. Um, Tuchel made it very evident that he does not want any more questions of the of the situation anymore because, you know, he's a, he's a football coach. He's not, you know, a politician. Um, yeah. It is very political. Um, but from a football standpoint, it should be fine. Um, he was a very passionate owner. He loved the club. You saw it, you know, in and, and, and the games he was there. But, you know... I think the political aspect of it just overweighs and, and it's going to force him to sell, which I think is the right decision. Uh, very interesting enough, all the proceeds um, are going to, you know, people from Ukraine. Um, so I think that was interesting. Um, but I think Chelsea will be fine. They'll find another good owner. I think he'll sell to the best owner um, that'll be truly invested in the club. So they'll be, they'll be fine. Uh, they're too massive to implode and, 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 you know, be be bad next season or or in the future with this new owner ownership group that comes in.
0: Yeah, that is that is the case, right? They are able to produce consistently, uh, as as Garrett says, with the academy, and then, as you say, JP Tuchel is ready uh, to to bring the squad and continue to build. Um, we can move on from that to the FA Cup, in which we can return to Spurs. Uh, because they were knocked out of the FA Cup by Middlesbrough, who uh, previously had knocked out Manchester United. uh, And now they've knocked out another top six club, one nil to Middlesbrough. It was a gutsy performance uh, from Middlesbrough. They were able to find the winner in the 107th minute in extra time. Didn't need penalties this time, but... I mean, what can you say about this club? They're they're now in the quarterfinals after taking out two top six clubs. Uh, they have another top six club to face in the quarterfinals in Chelsea, which will be the hardest test yet. It's, it's very impressive what they've done. Um, but for Spurs, yeah, it's going back to what JP said earlier, is they are – sometimes they look impressive like they did against Everton and, and rip teams apart with their attacking prowess. Uh, and sometimes they look very poor and lose to teams that are not to their level. Uh, JP, did you do you have any thoughts on that as well? Since
1: I mean, it's just another year without a trophy, and you are expected to beat you know a second division team, um, regardless if you're if they were you they were away. Yeah, regardless if they had just beat a Manchester United, your Spurs, this is the last chance you have of winning a title this season, um, and you have a better team. Uh, they should have definitely played better finished it off in the first second half but like I said they choke they shoot themselves in the foot and it's just the very Spurs way to go out
2: from a borough perspective I mean this is a a brilliant result one of their homegrown uh, players in Josh Coburn finding what was a great finish for the winner um and it's not like Spurs put out a, a weak team or anything. Kane, Son, Kuliszewski, Hoiberg, all these players starting. Um, and but you're right, Spurs are so consistent in how inconsistent they are. You, you never really know what to expect from them, which is why you know I did have a little bit of hope coming into our game against them today because it's Spurs. I have no idea what they're gonna do. They they can either smack someone, you know, go go to the Etihad and, and beat the the. Uh, Reigning champions, and then the next week go and lose against Burnley. So who knows? But from Burroughs' perspective, they've knocked out two Premier League teams. Obviously, it it seems very unlikely that they'll do it again. But they're also, you know, still uh, in the championship conversation for the for the playoffs, rather in the championship. Um, And you know, it is possible that we see them in the Premier League next season, which would be brilliant for them. What a campaign they're having! So you know, it's the magic of the FA Cup, which is not dead. It really is not.
0: Absolutely not, and as you say, I mean, Spurs smashed Everton up. We've been talking about it, but Everton are the ones still in the FA Cup. Uh, they're the ones in the quarterfinals. They obviously had a much easier game, Borum Wood, that they were able to take care of. But uh, Everton will be facing Palace at Selhurst Park uh, in the quarterfinals, and they have a chance, which would be incredible if to 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 win uh, a piece of silverware this season. Uh, the other one we mentioned was Middlesbrough versus Chelsea. Liverpool will play Nottingham Forest and Manchester City will play Southampton. So uh, a couple of championship teams left and then the rest of the Premier League, but it, it should be a good one uh, the, the rest of the way out.
2: Yeah, I actually got a proposed a question by my friend the other day and he said, would you take Everton getting relegated if it meant that they won the FA Cup, you know, pulling a, a 2013 Wigan? And I, I had to stop and thing. really think about that. I had to stop and really think about that, and and I think, I think I would take it. I think I would wow. take it, because I mean it's been twenty seven years since Everton won a trophy, um, and, and yeah, since they've been relegated. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But not getting relegated it doesn't go in the trophy cabinet, does it? Um, you know, it's a nice little record to have and and whatnot. But you know, I don't think Everton are in a situation like Wigan, wherein they would, you know, even winning the FA Cup, them going down, they wouldn't, you know, come back up for like eight years or however long it's been since Wigan was last in the Premier League because, you know, Wigan were a club who had never been in the top flight or had never been in the Premier League at least. And that's obviously not the case for Everton. So, I mean, I think we could still come back up and winning an FA Cup would be amazing. So I think I would take it. But the fact of the matter is that we are very likely not going to win the FA Cup, and so we cannot get relegated.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, which would be interesting. I mean, Everton would potentially have a, a chance of winning two pieces of silverware in two years. They could win the FA Cup and then go and win the championship, uh, bounce, bounce right back up, uh, which would, yeah, that, that would be a pretty good result for Everton fans. I feel like they would be happy with that one. But uh, with that, we can move on from Europe. We can come back to the United States. Uh, it is the MLS. It is week two. And we can start off with a game that I was at, JP, missed out on for once. He's, he's at almost every LAFC game, but unfortunately not this one. Um, it was LAFC Portland. I think that this was uh, so probably the best uh, game going into the into the week. I mean, the t- two teams and probably the top 10 teams in the league uh, coming up against each other. And, and an early test for LAFC who had just beaten Colorado 3-0 off the Carlos Vela hat-trick, and, but it was against Colorado, who didn't look good, who ended up going to beat uh, Atlanta 2-0, which made it look a little bit more impressive. Portland, of course, 2-2 at home against the reigning Supporters' Shield winners and, and MLS Cup record-setters, New England. Uh, so uh, they already had their test at home. Now they go and, and face a test on the road. And it began with Jimmy Chata, again, two bicycle kicks in two Unbelievable. weeks. Unbelievable. This man, I, I don't know what to say. Um, I don't think that he'll be able to continue scoring bicycle kicks to find draws for Portland, um, but uh, he f- has two and two weeks now. And then it was Claudio Bravo, not the goalkeeper, but the uh, defender getting sent off in the 62nd minute uh, for grabbing Chicharango. Garrett, I know you think it was soft, uh, which it, it probably was, but he, he did grab him. Uh, for no, for no reason, uh, besides he was, he was getting past him and it was a second yellow sent off and city, I mean, city, look at me confusing my teams, LAFC, uh, were, were dominant for the most part throughout the game, uh, nearly 70% possession, especially after the red card, just dominated possession, but weren't be able to create a ton of chances, Uh, But in the 93rd minute, it was Brian Rodriguez beats a man and crosses it right to Mamadou Fall, who was able to get the tap in uh, easiest finish of his life. And it it snatched the draw and one point for LAFC. Uh, We will start with JP, who uh, is a fellow LAFC fan for anybody who doesn't know. JP, what were your thoughts on this one?
1: I think I think it's good that you know the team struggled. I think they need to go through all the emotions um, early on in the season, and then you know start start walking through the league at the ends, um, rack up some wins at the ends, and not at the beginning because I think that they'll get overconfident, and I don't really want that. Um, but you also can't, you know, have eleven men for a majority of the second half and not create. Um, more quality chances uh, I think Chicho was off today or yesterday um, it wasn't his night um, positionally he was fine but th- that last touch was not there um, and if your strikers ain't on um, and you're sending him all these balls then you're not going to score uh, I think we were a bit unlucky we did have a lot of possession uh, but Dolo said in the press conference uh, he, you know he thought the team needed to create more quality chances if you're going to have that much of the ball and, and I agree I think it was just lack of, of creating good chances and also lack of finishing. Um, but luckily, you know, Mamadou Fall, center back just runs in, in the middle of the box and it just speaks to how versatile he is and how great and high of a ceiling he has. And I think he's really going to, you know, be a big, a big inflow, of, yeah, inflow of, cla- of cash when we sell him off because, uh, you know, a lot of big clubs would want a player like him in Europe.
0: Absolutely. Only 19 years old, huge ceiling. Uh, he's he's still going to grow. He's going to bulk up, um, which will allow him to go to Europe uh, and really succeed. I think I think most LFC fans will agree with you there. Um, Carlos Vela came off at halftime with precautionary injury. Franco Escobar as well came off with an injury early uh, earlier in the, in the first half. Um, so, so some questions there about health, uh, but hopefully it won't be too bad. Ilya Sanchez is the other guy just has to be mentioned because he was incredible. Once again, uh, in his first two matches for LAFC, he was arguably the man of the match in both. If only if not for uh, Carlos Vela's hat trick, but he was outstanding again everywhere defensively and uh, moving the ball, progressing the ball forward. Uh, Really, really good performance from him. And Garrett, I believe you watched this one as well.
2: Yeah, I did. I couldn't miss it. I knew you guys would be there and I knew we would be discussing it today. Um, And I do agree with, with most of what JP said, you know, LAFC 25 shots, only six on target. So that's, that's some poor finishing also a little bit unlucky, but at the same time, I thought they got lucky that Portland didn't kill this game off to be honest. Like the fact that they, they had the chance for Mamadou Fall to get that tap and, and equalize it was only because Portland let them off. They had a couple breakaways that they just didn't use to their full potential. And obviously, you know, only having 10 men, it, it doesn't help in that whatsoever. I think if that red card doesn't happen, even though the the pattern of the game would be the same, we saw LAFC with a lot of possession, Portland sitting back protecting their lead, because why wouldn't they? Um, I think if they had that one extra player, they, they might have been able to get a second and, and kill the game off. Um, but you know, they played some poor balls in the final third. They like LAFC didn't make full use of their chances. Uh, and they kind of blew their opportunity to, to kill the game off. And, you know, one individual defensive error, you let Brian Rodriguez on, onto the byline and then Mamadou falls just on side, as you said, easiest finish of his life. So overall, you know, I, I think, I think it was a fair result. Um, I, I think, my first reaction was a little harsh on Portland because I did think they defended pretty well for most of the game, especially being down, uh, down a man at the bank, which is not an easy way to play whatsoever. But I I did think LAFC probably did enough to, to warrant not losing. It was, it was almost a game where, you know, both teams played, played well enough that, that you could, you know, make an argument for the result really going either way. And so a draw is probably the fairest thing that, that I could see.
0: Yeah. Neither team really deserved to lose. As you say, Uh, Portland deserved the credit because they played exactly how they wanted to play, Uh, sit deeper a little bit, especially with 10 men, they needed to sit deeper and release on the counter. Um, And they did it for 92 minutes. Uh, But unfortunately for them, Mamadou Fall found the way, but LAFC, as you see, yeah, just didn't play poorly, didn't deserve to lose. Um, But I wouldn't say either team deserved to win really either. So definitely fair results. All right. And moving from my game to your game, Garrett, uh, it was Columbus visiting San Jose. It was I said my game was was the game of the week on paper. Your game ended up being the game of the week Uh, in practice. You just took
2: the words out of my mouth. That's scary. That's literally exactly what I was going to say. Well, tell us about it. I mean, it, so it started off pretty well for the Quakes. They won a what was a, a relatively cheap penalty, but it was, I believe it was Jonathan Mensah who just clipped the top of Paul Marie's foot. It went to VAR penalty. Christian Espinosa just barely snuck it in. But um, after that, you know columbus got back in the game but it was through what was a very cheap very soft red card in my opinion Justin, and i know we both agreed that this was a yellow card from jamiro montero obviously the new signing from philadelphia new dp i thought he was really unlucky he had to go for this ball because if he wins it he's in one-on-one with the keeper um you know it's on the back line but the ball's bouncing so his studs come slightly up he doesn't even get like a, a particularly bad connection with the with the defender's leg or anything but goes to VAR, he gets sent off, and then, you know, almost immediately, it's that man, Zeller We know how good he is with just a fantastic finish from uh, the edge of the box. Um, And then it it was Jossi Zardes who came off the bench in the second half, made it uh, 2-1, just a tap-in pretty much, poor defending from a set piece. And then Zeller scored what was a magnificent free kick from, you know, probably 19 yards out. So if you can keep that on target, pretty tough for JT Marcinkowski to get over. And, you know, that's – it seemed like game at that point. I was watching with my friend Nathan just as it was last week, and we were like, man, this sucks. You know, 10 minutes of of garbage time here. We're going to lose – Um, but Goonies never say die, Justin. And this has been a a theme (laughs) with the earthquakes for well over a decade now is it's the, always the late, late show in San Jose. And so there was a spark of life in the 84th minute when Francisco Calvo scored off a, a, what was a delicious set piece to everybody. uh, young gray goose, obviously another new signing, uh, the new signing is connecting Calvo just flicked it past Eloy room made it 3-2 and then with pretty much the last kick of the game the earthquakes won a 96th minute corner it was yet again young Gouche with a fantastic uh, outswinging corner calvo's first to it puts it in the bottom corner absolute bedlam at paypal park it was a great game i couldn't really believe my eyes this was a game we were dead and buried against a team that you know won mls cup 2 years ago obviously they were poor last year but you know, I, I thought this game was dead and buried. I think we all did. Uh, I was feeling very disappointed with the way that the team had played after, you know, two, cons- what looked to be two consecutive losses and felt very hard done by because the red card it was just not a red card, in my opinion. But, you know, Calvo taken to San Jose quickly. He's already gotten with the traditional attitude of just never give up. Um, and, and I think one stat that kind of shows that the Quakes did play well in this game is that they were down to 10 men for over 60 minutes and still had 45% possession and four shots on target to seven. So, you know, it was a really inspired performance. They never gave up and they rewarded for it.
0: Yeah, as you say, down with, with 10 men, finding a way to get the job done, not very many shots, not very many shots on target, but making them count.
1: JP, what are your thoughts on this game or the, these teams in general? Uh, I mean, I, for one, love Matias. I'm a Chivas fan. What he did for us is great. I think he's a great manager. Uh, sadly, he's just not in a team that wants to spend and give him the talent, um, the big money talent that that I think he wants. Uh, maybe it was promised, and I think that's why he's so – um, you know, snarky in his comments um, and just seems very unhappy with the club. But, you know, it was, it was, a, I mean, I didn't see the match, but I was, I was checking the scores and I saw 3-1. I was like, okay, San Jose's done for, there's no way. Uh, and then I check it again and it's 3-3. So it was Pandemonium at uh, PayPal Park in the Bay Area. Um, but you can never count San Jose out. I mean, they're, they're a very hit or miss team. Usually they, they miss, but when they hit, it's, it's great to watch. Um, and you can never really count them out for playoffs. You know, they're always going to be fighting for that because if they keep these performances, you know, they're going to be stealing points here and there, and, and obviously they'll, they'll end up getting wins. Um, you know, Monteiro wanting to leave Philadelphia and then landing in San Jose I think is good for him and good for the team. You know, it gives you a DP and it gives a, a player who wants to, you know, vindicate himself and um, show he can play. Uh, Greg, Goose is also another, you know, acquisition that was a DP. And now I think he was but pretty sure he's, he's like a Tam, um, but another player who just wants to play. Um, so I think he has, has pieces, but again, it's just, none of them are big guys that you say that you look and say, Oh, he can start anywhere in this league and make a difference. Um, and I think that's just what he's missing to really get over the hump to really, you know, say, Oh, this is a six, seven spot in, in playoffs for sure.
2: See, I disagree with that. Because, uh, you know, I I agree, I don't think he's been given the backing or or the talent or anywhere near enough to to make this team like actual contenders to really make waves in the playoffs. But I look at the roster and and I just think, you know, the injury to Nathan aside, which, by the way, really good news on that from a Quakes perspective is that um, you know the the operation there's like two different types of operations on a torn meniscus he should only be out for about eight weeks which is you know nothing compared to we were looking at you know maybe three to six months if it was a, a fully torn meniscus but it was only partial um so that's good news but the the point of the matter was that you know i look at the roster and i think this team has more than enough talent to get in the playoffs. And if the, he misses the playoffs again, I think it's down to Almeida because I think you could put a different manager on w- with this, with the roster, this roster, this talent, and, and they would get them into the playoffs because it, it is a good enough team, in my opinion. There are a few positions that are a little weak, but. You know, I still think there are some really quality players in this team. I think Christian Espinosa is a bit slept on. He has, you know, uh, I think it's the the most assists in the league over the past like three years or it's top five, something like that. Um, obviously, you know, Heal has only been here for, uh, you know, a little while and he'll probably end up passing Espinosa this season with how ridiculous he's been in, uh, you know, creating goals. But... Um, yeah, I agree that there isn't any big names where you're like, you know, that's a championship caliber player, but I, I think the roster is more than good enough to make the playoffs. And if we don't, then, then I'm really going to be looking at Almeida and saying, you know, maybe this guy isn't all that he, that he thinks he is.
0: Yeah. I think uh, that this is the, uh, this is the season, right. To find out, is it Almeida? Because prior to the season, he hasn't really gotten any backing, uh, from totally. so he hasn't had, he hasn't had a playoff level squad, um, and it's it's been well. He what is he supposed to do with that garbage? Right now they've they've brought in some veterans, uh, similar to LAFC in a way, actually brought in some MLS guys who have who know the league, uh, have been here a while, and built a team that has looks on paper that it can make playoffs. Um, so this season is the question.
1: Uh, I think he leaves. He I think Matias leaves regardless if they make it or they don't. I think this is his last I agree. year. I, does, no, I totally. He's not agree. bought in. He's not bought in. Uh, he'll do it because he's a professional, but I think he's just. This is the the best roster he's had in all of his time there, and you know one can argue it's still not anything near. I'm sure what he expected. Um, and you know his comments when when they asked him about Herrera was just I think the the nail in the coffin that he's leaving this this year, regardless if they have a breakthrough year like RSL last year, he's gone.
2: Well, if he was well, expecting a... a lot of – I was just going to say, if he was expecting a lot of backing, he probably should have Googled who John Fisher was before signing his contract. <laughs> oh, man,
0: I can attest to that as an Ace fan. Um, but uh, that, that was a perfect transition, JP. Talking about it at, uh, is Houston um, making moves. They are trying to become a relevant club in MLS. We know that they are uh, – very poor people have been predicting them to finish near bottom, if not bottom, of the West this season – they don't have the best squad, but they are looking to get some new players in and some new fans at that. In my opinion, they have gotten Hector Arrera, who will be transferring um, and, but they it came on a free transfer. It's a big transfer for MLS, but it, it's free. Um, and then they also made a bid for Diego Linez, which would be shocking if, if they were able to pull it off and, and, you know they're trying to get these. In my opinion, getting some Mexican players, getting those Mexican fans down in Houston, uh, to buy into that club, and uh, it's it's a good strategy. I, I'm very curious to see if it works, and I'm also curious to hear JP's thoughts on this. As an L Tree fan, uh, what are your what are your thoughts on this? What
1: are your views on uh, Houston going after some Mexican players? Um, if uh, I'll I'll do the Linus one first because I don't think it's it's as credible or or as plausible Uh, but if Linus comes uh, I think his career is over Uh, I I mean (laughs) MLS MLS can develop players Uh, they've done they've shown that they can you know flip him and send him back to Europe but there's no reason he he should come to the MLS he can go to a lower tier European team I think he failed he failed himself when picking Betis over Ajax Um, that's when I just knew that it just wasn't gonna gonna you know, be as smooth of a transition as, as it should have been. Uh, everybody knows Ajax develops players better than almost anybody in Europe. Um, and he chose Betis who, you know, now he's right in the bench at Betis. Um, but Herrera, he's what 32. Um, it's the tail end of his career and he's going to most likely get a minimum $4 million in Texas. Uh, I think it's the smart move for him and his family. Um, he had one or two more years of Europe at the top level And I think he can sacrifice that because he's not going to the next World Cup. Um, He can take care of his body, be in a, a, you know, less demanding league the last six months before Qatar um, because he is going to be the starter in Qatar Uh, under Tata Martino system. He is, you know, one of those pieces that you just cannot, um, you know, cannot take out. Um, So I think it makes sense. He'll, he'll have everything he wants in Houston. He'll have, Play the position he wants, be the be the guy, get all the touches he needs, so he'll be physically fit. Um, but it just makes sense because he's not going to go to the next World Cup, so he can sacrifice two or three years at the highest level, and you know become a, a millionaire here in here in Texas. What do you think about what it does for Houston uh, as a club? I, th- I think it puts them back on the map. I mean, they are the only team in Texas to win MLS Cup. Um, but they obviously you know, strayed away from that the last couple of years and not been, not been competitive. Um, and I also think it, it touches in with the Mexican uh, market that you have in Texas and in Houston, which I think has been un- untapped. I think they haven't been good at marketing, um, haven't been good with connecting with the community. And I think getting a big marquee signing, a big marquee Mexican signing will definitely fill, fill up some seats and attract um, the Mexican and Latino communities. Uh, in houston
2: yeah i mean i i think it's definitely from that marketing perspective it's a very smart move um and they're not you know necessarily breaking the bank for him obviously he'll be on on a decent enough salary but you know it's not as much as you know other players for example carlitos Villa. but uh, from a footballing perspective i i, I don't think it's going to change much uh you know he is a good player and he's been starting for he started for atleti this weekend but I, I still don't see how just that one player in midfield is going to drag them out of being, you know, one of the worst teams in the league. I, I, I don't think it changes that much quickly, uh, but, you know, next season, maybe if they can add a couple pieces, they can end up kind of pulling themselves off the bottom of the league. Um, but I, I do agree with what you said. It, it makes sense from his perspective. And, and he, I believe he's only joining in, in July, right? So then he'll get some more uh, games and he'll be able to keep fit before that world cup, uh, in, uh, November.
0: Absolutely. And moving from one Texas team to another, the question that I want to pose to you guys is, is Austin FC for real? They have now scored 10 goals in their first two games, but they've done it against the two worst teams in the league at home. Does this mean that they are really going to be a playoff contender are they going to be fighting for a playoff spot? Are they that good? Um, Sebastian Drew, we know, is, is looking incredible. Uh, is is he that top player in MLS? Can he really be their leader? Or is this just they played really, really bad teams in front of their home crowd, in a raucous crowd in Austin at Q2, um, and we're getting a little overhyped with their start to the season?
1: I'll take it. Um, I think they did what they had to do. I mean, you, you play the two worst teams. You're supposed to beat them. Um, I think that humidity kicks in and, you know, makes Miami and, and Cincinnati maybe give up. And, you know, the, the crowd pushes Austin to get the fourth and the fifth goal, uh, but they also haven't been tested defensively. I think they will be playoff contenders. They'll be fighting for sixth and seventh. Um, they addressed all the needs that they had in the, in, from compared to last season and the offseason, I think I still think the, the back line is still weak, um, but they definitely look better than what they did last season. They definitely will not be last or in the last spots. They'll be fighting for, for sixth and seventh, like I said, but I don't think we need to overreact and say this team is scary and everybody in the league should should be worried about Austin.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I think they'll be in the fight. I, I don't think they'll get into the playoffs. I think I could see them you know, finishing 10th, 9th, 8th, somewhere in there, right? Kind of where uh, LAFC and, and the Earthquakes both were last season. Um, and they do have talent and you're right. Drew UC has looked unplayable the first two weeks. But, you know, also, I I don't think they're going to keep finishing at such a ridiculous level at the moment because they have 10 goals from 4.6 XG, and that's ridiculous. So that's not going to keep up. They're not going to keep putting all these chances in in the top bins as they've been doing. And also, they won't be playing defenses as awful as Cincinnati and Miami, you know, both at home. So I think next week we're going to learn a lot because they're going to Portland at Providence Park, you know, I, I don't think they're going to win that game, but if they can even put up a good fight, if they can, uh, you know, be in that game for most of it and then, you know, maybe lose by a goal or somehow pick up a draw, I think we can learn a lot from that. And I think next week we can really have the discussion of like, okay, you know, is this team, do they have the potential to, you know, break into that top seven and, and really... Get in, you know, actually get into the playoffs because I think they'll be fighting for it. I don't think they'll be like mathematically eliminated until the last couple of weeks of the season. But you know, being in the fight and and you know, being in a good position to actually qualify are two very different things, in my opinion.
1: Yeah,
0: I think that's a great point because, uh, well, both of you. I mean, as you say, Portland is going to be the the test. We said it about LAFC. We're now saying it about Austin. It it'll show exactly where. Uh, they really are, um, and then as you know, JP said they're playing. They're playing the worst teams, and they are scoring. Um, but they they conceding one to Miami, who Miami cannot score goals. I mean, it's it's their defense that's really the question, right? Because conceding to Miami is one thing, uh, you know, one goal beating them five one. But Cincinnati had a bunch of chances that they didn't put away. Uh, as well, and and probably should have scored in that game, if not scored two or three. So uh, it's, it, the defense just isn't convincing. And when you bring them up against higher quality attacking teams, uh, like you will see, then I'm not sure that their defense will hold up. But I do think that they have uh, definitely some attacking talent and will score uh, a lot of goals because you know that was their problem last season they couldn't score a, a ton of goals um, but that doesn't seem to be the issue anymore and with Austin FC at the top of the table that shocks a ton of people what might be more shocking is Seattle Sounders at the bottom of the Western Conference they have now lost two games in a row both 1-0 this time to Real Salt Lake the question about them is should the Sounders fans be worried should they be uh, You know, reacting a lot to these wins, or should we calm down to these losses? Excuse me, or should we chill? And we know Sounders are a top franchise in this league. We know that they consistently are at the top of the Western Conference, fighting for MLS Cup uh, and Supporter Shield every single year. But two losses to start out the season one at home to Nashville, one away to Real Salt Lake, uh, and zero goals scored is is not looking good for one of the biggest franchises, not the biggest franchise in uh, the league. JP.
1: What are your thoughts on their poor start to the season? I think they're focusing on CCL, um, but that doesn't excuse losing two games, uh, especially a full one as it was at home. but at the same time you play Nashville um, the weekend after you you played CCL and you also go to go to Utah um, and have a weather delay. Um, which wasn't that nice to you. And and obviously the players of Salt Lake will be more used to that weather. Um, but Seattle is also known for starting really slow and then getting a player um, in the summer and, and, you know, really revving it up towards the end of end of the season. So no, I'm not worried, Um, I think. But I also think that they're just really going to focus on CCL and not really fight for the supporter shield this year. Um, They'll just try to get into playoffs and, and then obviously compete from there. But Um, No, I I would not be worried about Seattle. They have too much talent to keep on losing. Um, And it's not like they've been losing to bad teams. Uh, Nashville is not a walk in the park and neither is um, RSL in Utah.
2: Yeah, I I think we shouldn't get too carried away on it. Obviously, Rui Diaz hasn't played in either of these games Uh, But, you know, not scoring any goals, you know, with Freddie Montero and Leo Chu and Jordan Morris and whatnot, that is a little bit concerning. I'm not concerned about their their chances of, you know, making a playoff run. As JP says, they they tend to get hot at the right time of the season. But I would be a little bit concerned about me and Justin's predictions of them sitting top of the (laughs) West uh, because, you know, that was very, very tight last last season. Uh, Obviously, Colorado managing to pip everyone to that that number one seed on the last day. Um, so yeah, I might be concerned about, about my prediction for them to win the supporter shield and whatnot, but no, they'll, they'll be fine. You know, they'll, they'll still be in the top four without a doubt. In my opinion, uh, it's going to take a lot more than, than two unlucky one, nil losses and Bobby Wood getting his own shot right back to tap in, you know, to, to really get concerned about Seattle and, you know, obviously CCL, if, if they could win that, that would be a, a huge, huge accomplishment, and, and and when they get Rui Diaz back, you know, uh, there's no way that they're going to keep getting shut out like this.
0: Absolutely. They have Leon in the CCL uh, coming up tomorrow, actually. Um, and then they will have the Galaxy at the weekend, uh, which will be, you know, their first test uh, of the season. It will be at home at Lumen Field. But that we we're talking about tests for other teams. That'll be
2: their first uh, real test. Not to say Nashville aren't very quality team as well, though. Um, I just wanted to say, Justin, I I think we'd be remiss not to mention the MLS attendance record getting shattered by Charlotte this weekend. You did mention Galaxy. They managed to win with a absolute screamer from Efren Alvarez. What a goal. Uh, and, And I know that we both kind of beat this line to death nowadays, but MLS is the League of Bangers. Credit to Ryan Williams from the American Toffee podcast who first coined that phrase. And now we both use it because there were some incredible goals this weekend. As we said, uh, you know, Jimmy Chara right up there. I texted you like, I cannot believe he just did that again. And you were sitting there stunned in the 32:52. But yeah, I just wanted to mention, you know, really great. You know, despite Charlotte, you know, losing both of their first two games, that that crowd they had out there was was crazy. And, it you know, unfortunate for them that Efren Alvarez had to ruin the party with an absolute showstopper.
0: Absolutely. League of bangers is no doubt. I still will always say that it is... There are more bangers in the MLS than anywhere in the world. Uh, it's just, it's actually ridiculous at the rate of, of which incredible goals that are scored in this league and going from uh, banger goals, we can move to banger questions from our listeners. Uh, we got a, a plethora of questions from uh, Zilla on Twitter city Zilla. He loves as always giving as always, we got a ton of questions. We'll kind of uh, combine a couple of these here because they're about Arsenal uh, Pep and Klopp are losing their contracts soon. Uh we don't know if, if they'll they'll renew what exactly is going to happen. So do you think that they are going to be able to win a Premier League in the next 5 years? Um or or will City and Liverpool continue the, you know, basically two team league that it's become. Uh and then he also said looking back on Justin's Arsenal take, he wasn't such a madman after all. Hey, thanks. Um, Arsenal are in a prime position to get top four. Can Man United and Spurs realistically still have a threat to Arsenal? So we talked about that a little bit. Um, but, yeah, both of those on Arsenal. So thoughts there, uh, Garrett and the GP?
2: Yeah, I mean, Arsenal are in a really good position. You know, they're, they're, they're winning games. They have a, a really young, vibrant team. Um, you know, the, the defense little bit iffy conceding to Watford, although talking about bangers that Cucho Hernandez bicycle kick was something to behold as well. But I mean, I think their, the destiny, their destiny is in their own hands. We've been saying that about, you know, we said that about city and, and, and Liverpool and, you know, whichever one of them can can win that title six-pointer you know has a very good chance of going on to win the whole thing I think it's the same thing with Arsenal if they just can keep picking up points with teams around them kind of faltering you know United being inconsistent Spurs being inconsistent I don't see why they why they don't finish top four at this point I think I'd I'd probably if I were to make a bet on it I'd I'd probably go with Arsenal Um, you know Saka Odegaard great young players um, and uh, yeah
1: do I think Arsenal will win in the next five years? No, I do not. Oh be yeah, no, I don't. Yeah,
2: sorry, I forgot. I for, I, for, I forgot to answer that. No, definitely not.
1: <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think Liverpool, Manchester City, uh, Chelsea are gonna lose their their competitiveness and just let Arsenal walk in there and steal a, a steal a title. Uh, um, Arteta is doing things fine. He has a young squad. Um, they look promising at times. Um, but I also think they're still going to be young in these five years and inexperienced. Um, They're going to need a lot of signings to really, you know, change, change my opinion on it. Um, So I see top four finishes. Yes. Championship. No. Yeah. uh,
0: I think I I have to agree. I think that I, I think maybe I think there's a little bit better of a chance than you guys do. Um, just because I really back Arteta. I always have, I think that he's a very good coach and I think he's building a program there and a system in which the players will buy in and that there won't be uh, any distractions. He shipped a bombing off quickly. He's, he's very focused on uh, getting exactly what he wants and uh, it's starting to come together uh, from, from what I can tell. And so, no, they probably won't, but I think that they will be competing uh, I think they'll be in a title race in the next five years. I don't think they'll wow. win one though. Uh, and yeah, I, I, we, I think we're all in agreement that they will get top four. Um, I think Spurs are the close are going to, are going to chase them to it. I think it'll be a North London uh, race for the top four. Uh, but uh, I do think Arsenal, Arsenal will be the one uh, he also said, <clears throat> excuse me. He also said that he doesn't see our, our Everton getting relegated. That'd be really weird. Uh, we've talked about this, Garrett. We know that Garrett thinks that they will. I've been saying they won't, um, JP as well agreed. So
2: I, I okay. Yeah. Let me, let me clarify real quick. Okay. I don't know if I, if I'm saying that we will, but I think at this point it's 50, 50, if not 60, 40, like, I, I think, I think it, it is almost as it's probably as likely, if not a little bit more likely that we do get relegated compared to, we don't, that's what I'm saying. It's a 50, 50.
0: All right, and then the last two questions from Zilla: uh, What is the most important position in football? Which I, th- I thought was an interesting, broad question. And then, where do you rank Riyad Mahrez among Premier League wingers? Uh, JP, why don't you take these first, and we'll have Garrett. I want to hear. I want to hear uh, a United fan's opinion on Riyad Mahrez.
1: Uh, I think the six is the most important. The CDM. Um, different countries have different numbers, so I'll just say the CDM. Uh, I think the CDM is the backbone um, in midfields win games. Um, defense wins championships, yes. Um, but if you don't have a midfield, you're not going to really attack the ball and you're just going to be overflooded um, with, with the opposition's attack. Uh, whereas I rank Riyad in wingers. Um, in the Premier League. Pretty high. I guess, what, top five? Um, I just have a Liverpool's above him. And then, uh, yeah, he'd be three or four. So, yeah, I mean, I have him high. Uh, he, he can do everything, a little bit of everything. He doesn't look the strongest, but Jesus is he fast and quick on his feet. And he can ping a banger any, any, anywhere on the field. Absolutely. Garrett?
2: Yeah. Um, most important position. I, I think six is a good shout um i'd say it's either probably the six or the eight it's somewhere in the mid i think midfield in in general obviously depends what system you're really playing but when you think about the best teams of all time you know kind of the the cornerstone of those teams is always their midfield um and you know that's that's more than just one player and you know this is obviously a very reductive question in, in terms of one position but you know i think of you know, that Barcelona team and, you know, obviously Messi, greatest player of all time, whatnot, whatnot, but that midfield three of of Busquets, Iniesta, Xavi is unreal. Or, or, you know, um, when I think of, Real Madrid winning three Champions Leagues in a row the first thing that goes to my mind is not Cristiano Ronaldo it's Cruz Modric and Casemiro because that is an unbelievable midfield 3 so I'd say 6 or the 8 or or just midfield in general I, I think you know you can have as good a front 3 as you want um you know and we saw that with like peak Salah Firmino Mane when they were going nuts in 2017 18 but the midfield just wasn't good enough and so they, they you know they didn't win until the midfield stepped it up and, and they got a better center back and whatnot. So, you know, I'm going, I'm going midfield.
0: Yeah. Fair enough. I, I think that, Oh, we also need to hear your, your Mares.
2: Oh, Oh, uh, I'm putting him number two at the moment. I think he's better wow. than Mane right now. I think wow, he's better okay. than Mane right now. I, I do. I'm putting fair him enough. behind Sala and, and I don't really think there's anybody else. Yeah. All right. Other um, other than Tamari Gray, obviously, or Anthony Gordon rather.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, Yeah. For me, uh, it's, I I think I would say six as well, but my other shot would be center back. I think that if you, I think you can make an argument for anybody uh, up the center of the field. I mean, that's a classic, you know, uh, idea is up your spine. You need to be really, really strong. Um, So I think you could make an argument for anybody, goalkeeper center back six uh, up up to the striker. But for me, it's either the six or the center back. I think, especially in MLS, I would pick the center back, but in, in pretty much any other league, I think I would pick the six. Um, again, that CDM position, but yeah, just because it, it's really important to be able to read the play and cut off uh, counterattacks as well as spring the uh, attack. So that, that's why I would pick the six. But this the center back can, you know, put out fires as well as get involved in the attack on set pieces or whatever else uh, is very important. And then Mares, I'm surprised you put him higher than me, Garrett. I would put him third. Uh, Salah first. Uh, Hyungmin Son second. Ooh. And, and uh is third yeah i think son is absolute absolute class um and then we have two more questions if i'm not mistaken the first comes from uh our good friend celso back in black on twitter does jesse marsh stand a chance at leeds uh, obviously he lost his first game uh as Leeds manager one nil against leicester city uh, it was harvey harvey barnes uh, doing, the, doing the business at the KP. But, you know, I'll just answer this quickly. I say, yes, absolutely, he stands a chance. Um, because, first of all, I think that he, he fits the club very well and their philosophy. Um, but I also don't think that they played poorly at all. I mean, they smashed Leicester on XG uh, over 2 to .35. So they were creating chances. They could have very easily won the game, probably deserved at least a draw, um, 19 shots on target or 19 shots, only four of them on target though. So not, not finishing the chances, but the chances were there. Yeah. You know I mean, it was, a,
2: it was definitely a smash and grab from Lester. Like they, I, I, even just watching the highlights, cause I, I didn't wake up to watch that whole game. You could tell that they were probably the better team, but you know, also Lester have been pretty awful this season. So not like a, a huge accomplishment, but um, I, I think, I think, you know, Leeds, obviously they've lost five in a row or whatever, six in a row, whatever it is now. Um, but it's the same thing, as we've said, there's a lot of bad teams in the league. So I think if by standing a chance they mean, uh, or Celso means keeping Leeds up, I think, you know, there's it, you know, probably better chance that he does than he doesn't, in my opinion. If they can get the new manager balance, which they probably will. Um, yeah, I, I think they'll be fine. And, but then, you know, seeing what they do in the summer, maybe Brendan Aronson, you know, what other recruit, recruitment they do. It'll, it'll be re- really interesting to see if they can kick on or if, if they find themselves back in the relegation battle next season.
1: Yeah, I think he'll be fine. I think he keeps them afloat and will obviously prolong him another season. Uh, he'll definitely get some players that he wants. Um, and I'll, yeah, he'll be in the relegation battle next season um, just because that's just the talent level that, that leads us at right now. Um but I think he'll be fine. He won't, he won't relegate them and, you know, get criticized as an American coach that, you know, brings leads down with him.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, as an American, we, we want him to do well. Um, and then our last question comes from Sid. I, this is one of the favor- my favorite questions we've ever gotten. Uh, because it's a very deep philosophical football question, which we love discussing on this podcast. He says, is Juego de Posicion going to dictate what modern football is? Uh, Easy translation. Uh, is positional play. uh, For anybody who doesn't know what this is referring to, it's basically just a football philosophy. Pep Guardiola loves it, which is why he's he's asking this question. Um, He's brought it from Barcelona to Bayern to City. Uh, Basically, it's just... You, you split up the uh, pitch into about 16 quadrants, six on each side, and then you have the half spaces in the middle as well as the 18-yard boxes. Um, but you, the idea being you, you make triangles and uh, diamonds so that you can play your, – your teammate always has two or three options, and then you want to make overloads within the boxes uh, in, in the, throughout the pitch. So uh, to answer the question, though, I think no. Because I think that you know, managers have done this for a while. It's not a new concept necessarily. It's just that Pep is so really impressive at employing it and, and training it and, uh, throughout the week, so that his his team is prepared. Um, but I think that it's it's a testament to how good Pep is, rather than the the philosophy as a whole. Uh, I don't think it's just going to be a dominant philosophy because you know I think people probably thought similar to that uh w- with jo- Mourinho and how he came up uh winning a Champions League and, and with with uh, his philosophy and then we know how that worked out so I just think that Pep is is the difference there not necessarily the uh, philosophy although obviously it is a great uh, footballing philosophy um that's JP a, your thoughts that's a,
2: or Eric? go ahead I was just gonna say that's a I mean that's a very comprehensive answer Um, uh, I don't think it will dictate I agree. I don't think it'll be like a dominant, but it, but it, without a doubt has shaped the, the history of football because it was, you know, kind of a, a main tenant of what is in my opinion, the greatest team of all time, which is, you know, peps, Barcelona in general, pick a season, you know, whatever you want, the six trophies in a year or whatever it was. Uh, so I think it, it, I don't know if it will dictate, but it definitely will shape and, and be of large influence on where football goes. And it already, it already has, uh so but you know uh, other than that I I totally agree with with what you're saying Justin
1: um does it dictate modern football I think so I think a lot of the teams in general you know even kids now they learn how they learn the game is is the way Pep is has revolutionized it um positional play possession based or possession oriented football so I think it it you know will dictate modern football for the coming years. Um, and as long as Pep is coach and at the top, I think everybody's going to want to follow his style of play um, unless another coach revolutionizes in his way, uh, which I don't really think will happen anytime soon.
2: And I think with that, guys, we can call it – uh, an episode here. Thank you so much for joining us, JP. Uh, everyone, be sure to go follow him on Twitter at JP underscore Marquez20 and be sure to follow us at U90Football. That's U90Football. We have some great uh, fixtures coming up this week and this weekend. We have Champions League second leg starting uh, PSG versus Madrid. Very excited for that. So we'll definitely be talking about that next week, Justin. Uh, obviously, more MLS, more Premier League. Uh, you know, we're getting into the real juicy part of the year now where you know all these leagues are going at once the title race champions league knockouts uh going to be a lot to discuss so thank you again for joining us jp and we'll see you all next week